I hope you'll join with us, Acts 18. The title of today's message is Courage in Corinth. But I'm wondering, uh, did you hear about the preacher who was ready to quit? I've been there many times myself. But things had not gone well for this particular preacher for several weeks and now months. Attendance was down, and so was the giving statements. A couple of deacons were criticizing every move that uh, he was making. And to make matters worse, every time this fellow preached, well, his sermons fell like a concrete balloon. Uh, He rarely would ever get an amen or an attaboy. And so he was rather discouraged. But he felt pretty good when a family from the church invited him over for dinner one night. And he thought, wow, this is great. Somebody out there must love me. And so as this pastor and his wife uh, sat around the table with this precious family, they were about to dig in and they were going to enjoy the food. And uh, their son, 10-year-old Johnny, the family that was sponsoring the meal, 10-year-old Johnny volunteered. He said, I want to say the blessing tonight. And so they bowed their heads and Johnny started praying. He said, Dear God, thank you for this meal. Thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for Jesus and the cross. And Lord, I want to pray especially for this preacher. I pray, Lord, that you'd send him some money. Amen. Well, after the blessing was said, the preacher looked at little Johnny and he said, Well, gee, uh, Johnny, that sure was a nice prayer, but I'm a little bit confused. Uh, Why is it that you prayed for God to send me some money? And the little boy turned to the preacher and he said, Well, it's because my daddy says you're the poorest preacher we've ever had. (laughs) So uh, take it easy on your pastor out there. And uh, if you want to encourage him, that's not the way to do it. But discouraging the pastorate is a silent killer. Experts who study church trends know that the average pastor stays at a church for about three and a half years before there's burnout or a scandal or some kind of adversity comes along and causes the man of God to resign. Many of you know that I have studied in depth the life of Charles Spurgeon and I draw so much encouragement from his ministry. The Prince of Preachers, he was called. He pastored during the mid-1800s there in London, England, uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle. Of course, he founded one of the first uh, what you might call megachurches in the modern era. But uh, despite all of his tremendous success, you might be interested to know that uh, Mr. Spurgeon actually suffered great and deep bouts of depression. In fact, one of the greatest trials that he ever went through Uh, happened as his fame and his notoriety was skyrocketing. On October the 19th, 1856, he gathered about 1,200 people, or excuse me, 12,000 people together in an auditorium where he was preaching. And for reasons still unknown to this day, a fire broke out in the middle of that church meeting. And I'm not talking about Holy Ghost fire, I'm talking about a real, actual five-alarm fire. And so pandemonium ensued, and a balcony which was holding several people up actually collapsed, and in the mad rush of people to leave the auditorium, seven people died in that tragedy. They were trampled to death, some of them. Others died of smoke inhalation. But this tragedy that struck in the beginning part of his ministry really sent Spurgeon off the deep end into the slows of despondency. 
The newspapers didn't let up. They branded him all kinds of nasty things. Uh, They called him a ranting charlatan. They called him a huckster. But uh, Spurgeon entered into this depression, and he was bedfast for several days. Well, after he got through it, he wrote about it, and he preached to his people about it. And here's what he said about that. He said, quote, I have gone to the very bottom of the mountains, but as far as my witness goes, I can say that the Lord is able to save to the uttermost even in the last extremity, and that God has been a good God to me. He said, good men are promised tribulation in this world, and ministers may expect a larger share than others, that they may learn sympathy with the Lord's suffering people and may be fitting shepherds to an ailing flock. And so, the child of God doesn't get a pass in this world from suffering and from adversity and hardship. We go through it just as much, if not more in some cases, as everybody else. And God uses it for His purpose and for our benefit. And the Apostle Paul was no stranger to this kind of adversity. Let's get a little running start here and remind you where Paul is in his journey in Acts chapter 18. Paul arrives in the city of Corinth alone. And up to this point, he has suffered many defeats and felt the sting of persecution along the way. In Philippi, chapter 16, he was imprisoned there with Silas, and you remember that. They sang the jailhouse rock, and the walls uh, came uh, opening up, and they were released from prison. And then in Thessalonica, he was actually run out of town under the cover of darkness, fleeing for his life. You get to Acts chapter 17, he makes it to Athens and he goes up to Mars Hill. He proclaims the unknown God to the philosophical elite and to the intellectuals of the day. And wouldn't you know, they, many of them rejected his message. In fact, they insulted him there. They called him a seed picker. Now, he comes to Corinth in chapter 18 and this is not exactly the place for a lonely, fatigued, discouraged pastor who's trying to seek some kind of refuge. Corinth was the Wild West in these days. Historians tell us that this was the sin city of the ancient world. In fact, the population was many times larger than that of Athens. They say about 700,000 sailors and merchants and tourists and all different kind of folk made this place their home. And Corinth was infamous in the ancient world for its immorality In fact, its claim to fame was the temple dedicated to the Greek goddess Aphrodite where they would have a thousand temple prostitutes there fanning the flames of lust and there they plied their sordid trade. And so there was actually an insult in the ancient world. If you called somebody a Corinthian in Paul's day, This was essentially branding them a barbarian. It was one of the lowest insults you could hurl at somebody. And so Paul is going to this city to try and plant a church. You talk about a daunting task. And you get a sense that Paul's feet were dragging by the time he gets in Corinth because listen to what he writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-3. through Listen to how he came there. He says, Brethren, I came to you 
And I did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. And then listen to what he says in verse 3. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. So that's his spiritual and physical and mental state as he comes into the city of Corinth. His needle is bouncing on E. But despite all of these challenges, Paul goes forward with the gospel. And the interesting thing is, as you study these first few verses here in the book of uh, Acts chapter 18, what you're going to notice is that even though Paul is down, even though he's faced all kinds of adversity, God comes alongside him in his ministry and encourages the Apostle Paul to keep going. And this is a great passage for today because uh, chances are very high. I'm talking to somebody out there who's discouraged, facing adversity, wanting answers, and not knowing what's next. And this is a great passage because what we're going to notice is how God comes alongside us and encourages us not to quit, but to keep going because He's a faithful God and His gospel is worth proclaiming and worth living for. So we're going to notice this morning in this passage Four actions, four things that God sent to Paul to help encourage him, and God will do the same thing for us today. Number one, I want you to see, if you're taking notes today, that God sent the encouragement of companions. The encouragement of companions. Read with me uh, verse 1, chapter 18, book of Acts. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks And then notice verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. So here we are. Paul enters the city of Corinth by himself. He has the Lord with him, but he doesn't know a soul beyond that. And along the way, notice here that God puts a couple of believers alongside of him at just the right time. And the Bible says that not only did they share in the faith, but they also shared the same occupation. They were tent makers. And this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, opened up their home for the Apostle Paul. And there they joined forces, they joined resources together, and ministering and making a living. Now, the book of Acts records that Priscilla and Aquila actually helped Paul about... Uh, in three different cities. And it's interesting that this is the beginning of that relationship and it's going to be very fruitful going forward as we study. But then we also notice that Paul was uplifted even more as he stayed there because Silas, remember he traveled with Paul uh, in Philippi there and many other cities and they were in the prison together. And Timothy, Silas and Timothy came alongside Paul, and in fact, in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 9, we discover that when they came to Paul in Corinth, they didn't come empty-handed, but they came with financial gifts 
from the churches that they had planted earlier in Asia Minor. So the resources coming from Thessalonica and from the church in Philippi. Now, as I read this, notice, don't miss the providential timing of God. God brought the right people at just the right time into Paul's life when he needed fresh wind and fresh fire and he needed encouragement the most. God was there to meet his need. And it may not be a stretch to say that were it not for these friends that God had sent alongside to help Paul, there may have never been a church in Corinth. I mean, Paul was a great preacher. Yes, he was dogged and determined. Uh, Yes, he had grit and grace, but only one man can do so much. But God blessed Paul in the midst of this discouragement. He sent blessed believers along the way to lift him up and help him with the work of God. What a blessing it is if you can call somebody a friend. Amen? What a blessing I can look back on my life and see faithful men and women who come alongside me and help me as a young preacher and help me as a discouraged preacher along the way that patted me on the back and said, don't give up, Derek. You just keep what you're doing. I know it's hard, but we're right here with you believing along with you that God is going to do something great. And friend, I'm telling you, it's a blessing if you've got that in your life that God will send the right people at the right time to lift you up when you don't think you can take another step forward they'll come alongside and help you just like those two men who lifted up the hands of Moses in the wilderness praise God I've got friends around me who lift up the hands of the pastor and say we're here believing with you we're here fighting with you we're here ministering with you don't give up don't give up Friend, I would have given up a long time ago if it hadn't have been for a blessed uh, saint coming along and patting me on the back and saying, Preacher, good message. That encouraged me. Even when in my heart I knew that was not a good message. They helped me. And I'll never forget it. Proverbs 17.17 says this, A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. You know, a true friend is somebody who walks into your life as things are falling apart and everybody else is walking out. And if you've got a companion, if you've got a friend, if you've got somebody in your life that will help encourage you like that, I'm telling you, you've got something more precious than gold. Let me ask you a question out there. How many times have you been on the verge of quitting? You've been on the verge of giving up because the burden was so heavy. And then, by God's providential timing, He sent a friend into your life. Maybe it was a phone call. They call you and you pick up the phone and they say, Hey, brother, hey, sister, hey, so-and-so, I don't know what it was. I was riding down the road and God put you on my mind and I just want to pick up the phone and call you and see how you're doing and encourage you and lift you up and let you know I'm praying for you. That's happened to me and I'll never forget those folks who did it. Maybe... Maybe it was somebody who came along and just you bumped into them in the store. You hadn't seen them for years and years, and you run into them at the grocery store or at Walmart or wherever, strike up a conversation, an old friend that maybe you went to church with or played ball with or worked with, and you just have that fellowship right there in the middle of the store. And you can have church right there just talking about the Lord and what He's doing in your life. 
Maybe it was a time when you were sick in the hospital, when you were laid up and you were on your back and uh, you were wondering, did anybody out there know about me? Have I been forgotten about? Did God forget about me? And all of a sudden they show up maybe in your room or at your home and they've got a smile and they've got a bowl of soup and what a blessing it is. John Maxwell wrote in one of his books about an experiment that a group of doctors and psychologists at a major university sponsored. And the purpose of the experiment, he said, was to see how well people could endure a painful situation. Uh, now, I don't know how they got volunteers to sign up for that. Hey, come on, sign up for this uh, trial, this study that we're doing to see how well you can endure pain. I don't know. Uh, maybe there's some masochists out there that they uh, talked into it, to be guinea pigs. But here's how they worked. They asked volunteers to come in and stand in a bucket of ice-cold water. All right, some of you out there are already saying, I'm out. No way. I don't have that kind of pain tolerance. So here's what they did. They had two groups. They had one group where they brought the people in and they stood them in that bucket of cold water up to their waist or wherever. And they had nobody in there with them. They were just totally alone in that room. And then they had a second group. The second group brought the people in, stood them in that bucket of cold water, but they were allowed to bring a friend or a loved one or a spouse, whoever, along with them into that room, and they were allowed to coach them and encourage them. And the goal was, let's see how long they last. How long can they endure this situation? And here's what they discovered. You probably already know the results, but here's what it was. The researchers discovered that the second group, that is the ones who had encouragers go into the room with them, were able to last two and three times longer than those who had nobody there coaching them and cheering them and helping them along the way. And how necessary is that in our lives today, friend? I think about the Primitive Quartet. They sing so many wonderful songs that bless my life, but they have one that uh, I've sent out and tried to encourage people with. It blesses me. But it says, Many times you've been a blessing as we've traveled down life's road. I recall when I was burdened and you shared my heavy load. Oh yes, I've lost loved ones, but you were there to see me through. I'm looking forward to spending eternity with you. Friend, listen to me. Encouragement doesn't cost anything, but it can mean everything to that person who's going through the trial. People often go further when they have somebody there who thinks that they can. And if you can't be anything else today, let me tell you, you can be an encourager wherever you are. And what a great opportunity it is today to be that. Our world is reeling in panic and uncertainty and we can be encouragement. We can be fresh air in the lungs of so many who are down and out. So give somebody a call. Send them that card. Uh, send them a text message. Uh, make a brief ministry visit. And when you do, take food because that always helps. But don't underestimate the value of being an encourager because it has changed life, it's changed my life, and friend, it changes history. So we see that number one, God sent Paul the encouragement of companions. And then number two, notice this, God encouraged Paul with the excitement of converts. The excitement of converts. 
Notice here verse 5 again. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the Word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. And verse 8 said, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Wow! You talk about... Helping brother Paul out when he needed it the most. Whenever God is blessing a ministry, when things are going well, you can always expect a couple of things to come along. You can expect increased opposition, and you can expect increased opportunity. Those things always come. Satan never takes a day off, does he? He's 24-7. He's 365. And he'll never miss an opportunity to discourage and beat down one of God's servants any chance that he can get. And he tried to do that in the life of Paul as he ministered here in Corinth. Because the Bible says that he first went, as he often did, to the synagogue first, to the Jewish people where he had common ground, a common ethnicity, and the Old Testament and so on. And he tried to reason with them through prophecy and through the Old Testament, connecting the dots that Jesus really was the Messiah. But the Bible tells us here that they opposed and reviled Him. They did not welcome Paul with open arms in Corinth. And so he says that he shook out his garments and he went on. So he said, alright, the Jews... My own people have rejected Christ, so his next move was, I'll go to the pagans. I'll go to the Gentiles. He didn't give up. And God blessed his efforts because the Bible says that many Corinthians believed, they left their pagan gods, and they came to Jesus Christ. And then, look at all the important people that end up believing. A man named Titius Justice opened up his house, and then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, that was the head over... Uh, the place where Paul wanted to go to preach to the Jews, he ends up coming and checking out the gospel and ends up believing. You talk about turning things upside down in the city of Corinth. Paul went in there like a bulldog and he wouldn't let go until God blessed him with souls. What an encouragement that is to me. There is no greater encouragement to a preacher or to a minister or to anybody trying to serve God than to see the gospel bear fruit and souls be saved. Friend, it's what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's why I get excited about coming to the house of God because somebody might get saved today. You don't know what God is doing out there in the hearts of people. Somebody out there watching this video who needs Jesus, who's looking for hope and answers, wanting to know what's next. How can I be sure of where I'm going when I die? Let me tell you, there's a man named Jesus. He died for you on the cross for your sin, shed his blood, got up victoriously out of the grave. And friend, he'll give you hope. He'll give you peace. He'll give you forgiveness and a new life today. You turn to Him and you'll find peace like you've never had in your life. That's what gets me going. That's what uh, 
gets me motivated to come and preach to an empty church because somebody might watch and be saved. God says, my word will go out and it won't return void. What a promise we have from the word of God today. My experience, though, it seems like you go through a dry spell. Oh man, have I been there before. A dry spell where you think, God, where are you? I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to preach the best I can. And nobody's responding. It seems like the devil is winning on all sides. It feels like times all you're doing is spinning your wheels. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit breaks in as a reminder to us, Hey Derek, it's not about you. It's not about your intellect. It's not about your personality or your training or how well you think you can preach. It's about me and I'll go out and do the soul winning. You just be faithful to spread that seed and I'll make sure that it gets watered and it gets nurtured and comes up to fruit in my own time, in my own way. Praise God for those gospel breakthroughs because I'm gullible. I'll keep going until I see one or two. God, just, just give me something to keep going on for. Something that'll put wind in your sails to keep ministering a little longer. Oh, friend, there's no joy... No joy for a pastor like when he sees somebody coming down the aisle. There's no joy for a pastor when he gives the invitation and he sees folk coming down. Hey, we've had services here at church and some of you can witness to this where it gets out of the banks and the Holy Spirit breaks loose and people start coming to the altar even during the music time. And friend, that's a sweet thing because you know that God is working invisibly but powerfully on behalf of of His people and His gospel. And friend, if you've never led somebody to the Lord, you're missing out on one of the greatest thrills you can ever have in this life. Most people don't share Christ because they say, well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid I won't know what to say. I'm afraid that they'll think I'm stupid. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. How about faith? we got to reject fear. we got to reject the lies of the devil. And we've got to believe what Paul said. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it has the power of God. Let me say that. The power of God to save. Do we really believe it? If you share the gospel, yes, you will get rejected. You'll hear no. They'll close the door in your face. They'll think you're weird and fanatical and call you all kinds of things. I've been there. But you know what? Yeah, I'll get rejected. But I'm also going to catch him, catch him once and twice and I'm going to see a miracle. I'm going to see souls saved and I'm going to experience the joy that God wants us to have. But friend, on the other hand, if you don't share the gospel, no, you'll never get rejected. But at the same time, you'll never know joy and blessing the way that God wants you to know it. And this is a perfect time. This is a great time right now to be sharing Jesus in our world. I'll tell you what happened to me Friday. Daniel comes late Friday evening. He says, Daddy, why don't we do a campfire? And we thought, oh yeah, that's a great idea. It was nice outside. So uh, Caitlin went and got a few things. She got marshmallows and uh, I got the fire going. And uh, we were roasting hot dogs. And uh, it was about 6.30 or so. And guess who comes rolling up in the driveway? What can Brown do for you? The UPS man. 
He was out delivering late throughout the day. And he come up and he delivered a package. I said, hey man, I said, we're having a cookout over here. I said, you want a hot dog? You look tired. You look like you've been working a lot today. And he, said, he looked at me. He said, yeah, I like a hot dog. I said, you like it burnt? That's the way I like it. He said, yeah. I said, you want a cheddar one? I've got one with cheese in it. He said, yeah. So he came over to the campfire. We were talking to him. I was roasting him a couple of hot dogs. I put it on a plate. And he started talking about all of the things that he was facing during the week. How it had gotten crazy in his deliveries and the long hours he'd been working. And, and he got talking about the situation that we're all facing with this virus. And I handed him those hot dogs and he started eating that. And I said, I said, let me tell you, I said, I'm a preacher. And I said, I'll tell you what this is. This is a wake-up call from God. What we're facing right now, I said, this is a light momentary affliction, but God is nudging this nation. He's trying to get our attention. He's talking to the sinners. He's testing the church. I said, and you better be ready and know where you're going. I said, you better have your soul prepared because life is fragile and life is short, but God's good and Jesus still saved. And he had that hot dog about halfway down and he just started looking at me like a calf staring at a new gate like I ain't never heard nothing like this before. He said, man, i got to go. I said, I understand. You go finish your day. But he was walking away. And I'm telling you, I got to plant some seed that day. You need to look for those opportunities. This is the greatest time in the world to be an evangelist for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because people are wondering. People are asking questions. People want hope. They're looking for something like they never have before. And sometimes God won't give you that immediate Harvest. He won't give you that immediate blessing. Oh, but sometimes He'll come through a little bit later on. And when you see it, and when you feel it, you'll know God is still working. A couple years ago, I went up to a church in Louisville, Ohio to preach for a pastor friend of mine. They were having an event up there, and I went and I preached. And Man, it seemed like I preached my heart out, and we gave the invitation, and nothing happened. How many times does that happen to preachers? All the time. Nothing happened. And I kind of went away a little discouraged. I thought, well, yeah, it was a good trip and all that. And I enjoyed getting to see a different part of the country. But, Lord, nobody got saved. And oftentimes, don't we look at results just like that? Well, I got home. Two or three weeks went by. And I got a phone call from somebody. Man called me. He said, Brother Derek, he said, you don't know me. He said, I'm so-and-so from the church up in Ohio. He said, you came a couple weeks ago. He said, you preached. I said, yes, I did. He said, do you remember in that sermon when you talked about your papaw, about how he lived a godless life for most of his life, and then in the last days as he was really ill, uh, he accepted Christ there uh, in just a, uh, almost like a deathbed conversion type deal? I said, yes. I said, I remember that. He said, well, I want you to know, I heard that message. He said, and I was so encouraged. He said, I was so inspired that I didn't need to give up on my dad. And he started telling me about his dad. He said, my dad has rejected Christ over and over and over again. I tried preaching to him. I tried witnessing to him. I tried inviting him to church. I bought him a Bible. He won't read it. He is cold as ice. He said, but then he got cancer. 
Doesn't God have to get our attention sometimes before we listen? He said, but then my daddy got cancer and I noticed a change in him. And he said, when I heard your message, I had given up hope for my dad, but I decided if he could do that for your papa, I'm going to go and I'm going to share Jesus Christ with my daddy one more time. And bless God, he told me, he said, I went into my dad's hospital room and he said, Dad, it's time to face reality. You're going to die and go to hell. Let me tell you about Jesus. And he said, that his daddy prayed and received Christ right there in the hospital room and he believed no I didn't get to see it but I got to hear about it second hand and I'm telling you friends God is bigger than we think he's moving in ways that we can't understand mysteriously invisibly powerfully and Paul was blessed he saw the result of God from his work and what I want to say to you is don't give up Don't let up. Don't back up. Don't shut up. You stay faithful in what God has called you to do. And you may not see the fruit right there in your life. But my God is faithful. He'll meet your need and encourage you along the way just enough to keep going for Him. I hope I'm preaching to somebody out there. Preston, are they saying amen, brother? So, the excitement of converts... And then we see the encouragement of companions. And listen to me, number three, the empowerment of Christ. Paul was encouraged with companions. He was encouraged by converts. And then in his ministry, he was empowered by Christ. Notice what verse 9 says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city. Watch this. Who are my people? What a blessing. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. Now it seemed like that every time Paul's ministry began to gain traction in a new city, Trouble blows in like a Category 5 hurricane. But in Corinth, yes, he had that trouble. But notice, God appeared to him in a night vision and promised, Paul, I've got this. You keep doing what you're doing. I'll take care of the enemies. And by the way, Paul, there's many in this city who are my people. They may have not proclaimed faith yet, but God knew that they were going to. By the way, if you're keeping count, this is interesting that Paul has six visions from the Lord or an angel of the Lord in the book of Acts. The first time, Damascus Road, chapter 9. Then he has the Macedonian call, chapter 16. Then he has this occasion in chapter 18 where the Lord appears to him again. Then twice in Jerusalem, chapter 22 and 23. And then just prior to his shipwreck in chapter 27. Now what's interesting is that if you break down God's statement to Paul, you see that it has four important parts to it. Notice this. There was a divine assignment. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. In other words, Paul, keep preaching. There was divine assistance. Verse 10, he says, I am with you. There was divine assurance. Verse 10 again. No one will attack to hurt you. And then notice 
once again, a divine appointment. Also, verse 10, for I have many people in this city. Now, as I started to study that and I looked at what the promises that God made to Paul, do you know, child of God, that we have the very same promises relayed to us through the Scriptures? We have the same thing that Paul had. We don't have an appearance physically of Jesus, but we have the Word of God, we have the Spirit of God, and notice what we're told. Do you know that we have a divine assignment? Go and preach the gospel to the whole creation. That's the Great Commission, Mark 16, 15, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. We have divine assistance. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm sending to you the helper, the paraclete, who will come alongside of you. We have divine assurance. Listen to what Jesus said, John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, watch this, shall bear much fruit. And then we have a divine appointment as well. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He shall direct your paths. Also in the book of Psalms, the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered by the Lord. We've got the same ability, the same assurance, the same appointment, the same promises that God had in Corinth, God has given to you and me today. We have everything that we need to go forward in faith and keep ministering and continue in our calling. Now that last promise should have been very motivating for Paul. When he says, I have many people in this city. How encouraging would that have been? What God is saying to Paul here in advance, I believe, is Paul, there are lost people here in Corinth. This is a great opportunity. I know who they are, and I know who's going to be saved, and I know who's going to be impacted from your ministry. And I want you to stay here, Paul. I want you to dig in, and I want you to evangelize without fear. I'll take care of the devil's crowd. You just do what I've told you to do, and I'll take care of the details. And what an encouragement that is to me. During this time, as we're facing the greatest crisis that I can remember since 9-11, I have the same promises. I have the same God. I have the completed Word of God. I have the same Spirit of God. No, I may not have my church uh, with me right now, but this is just temporary. And friend, when we get through this, we're going to see God do some things in our church, in our nation, in our state, as a people. Let me tell you, God is at work today. He's not abdicated the throne. He's not folded His hands. Uh, He's not had an emergency council meeting. He's still saving souls. He's still got a purpose. He's still reaching people. And I believe that this church is still going to go forward Crisis or no crisis, I'm trusting God. I'm digging in my heels and say, if I have to preach through a video camera, I'll do it. Because this is the opportunity that God has given me. And I believe that He might reach a few. And praise God, He might reach many. I was so encouraged the other night. When we preached that message and I got up the next morning and I looked on Facebook and I said, over a thousand people watched that? Are you kidding me? I'm a nobody, God. I have no title. I have no 
There's nothing important about me, God. But God is reaching people in ways that He hasn't in the past. Why? Yes, He had to shut things down to get our attention. But notice what happens when people don't have anything else to do. Well, we might as well listen to that crazy preacher. He might be right about something. Hey, I'm telling you today, don't hang your head. Don't live in panic and fear. You trust God because He's working. I'm promising you today. Towards the end of his life, David Livingston, the great pioneer missionary, he came home on a furlough from Africa. He'd been to places that no white man had ever seen before. Told people about Jesus who'd never heard the name of Jesus before. He came back home to England. And they were doing a symposium where they were allowing him to speak and talk about his journeys in Africa. All the things that he faced there trying to reach the heathen in a, in a dark continent. He, his, his arm hung limp from his body because he'd been attacked by a lion and severed some of the tendons and whatnot in his, in his shoulder. So he was basically a gimp on that side of his body. He talked about how he had been failed many times by malaria. How he laid up sick and shaking uncontrollably because of fever. He talked about the hostile tribes that threatened his life and how he'd been held at spear point and how they'd shot bows and arrows at him. And David Livingston talked about all that he faced there trying to reach these people for Jesus. Well, at the end, one of the students in the crowd stood up and said, Sir, I just have one question. Considering all that you have just told us about what you faced in Africa, how in the world did you keep going through all of that? And here's what David Livingston said. The whole crowd leaned in as if he was going to give some kind of great big secret and divulge some secret of the universe. Here's what he said. He said, you want to know how I kept going? He said, I have staked my whole life on one promise. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And he said, Jesus has never failed me. And friend, I'm praying that we'll have some backbone today like we've never had before. And we'll claim that promise too. Lo, I'm with you always. The last way that God encouraged Paul in his ministry was number four, the embarrassment of critics. The embarrassment of critics. Notice what happened here, verse 12. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names, your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge on these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. God has a way of taking the critics and making them end up with egg on their face. And that's what happened here in Paul's situation. Notice... Paul closes this 18-month stay at Corinth with an amazing instance of God's protection. 
the Jews who had opposed his preaching had formulated these trumped up charges against Paul. And they advocate that he was preaching rebellion against Caesar by proclaiming that Jesus was the king of kings. And they took this ridiculous charge, although it was true, he was preaching that, but he wasn't fomenting rebellion like the Jews said he was. So they brought Paul to the regional governor of the area, a man named Gallio. And they pleaded their case before him. And Paul, of course, is ready to defend himself, but true to his promise, God steps in and God stirs the pot a little bit. And God uses this pagan ruler to lend Paul a hand in the middle of this situation. And Gallio, after hearing this, he's, you can just imagine he's up there, you know, uh, picking his thumbs and uh, not really uh, paying much attention to it. And he just brushes it off and says, I don't know what you Jews are all riled up about. This is nothing but words and having to do with your religion. And so he, he throws the court out of case. And the critics who tried to crucify Paul and end his ministry, they end up on the short end of the stick. And it all backfired against them. And here's what I see about this. The will of God will never lead you to a place where the grace of God cannot provide. And if we take care of God's business, God will take care of our business. And if you're trying to serve God, listen, if you're trying to serve God, there's always going to be critics. Always. No matter what, you can't make everybody happy. Somebody's going to be a cold blanket committee or a cold water committee. But listen, you don't have to worry about them because if you're doing God's will for your life, they'll either get on board or they'll get out of the way or God will move them out of the way. And that's why Paul could write later on in Romans 8, hey, if God be for us, who could be against us? Standing before these Roman governors and seeing the hand of God protect him. Wow, what a story. God will fight our battles. I hope you believe that today. Let me finish with this. An example of God fighting battles. This story reminds me of a man named Brother Andrew. I don't know if you've ever read or heard about him. Pick up his book and read it. It's awesome what God did in the life of this man. Brother Andrew lived in the Soviet satellite nation of Yugoslavia. And during the days of communism, he was a pioneer missionary who thought, how can I get the gospel to my people? How can I get the gospel to these people who are under this communist regime and all they hear is atheism all the time? Well, he founded a ministry called Open Doors Ministry, and it's still going today. And what he did was he took Bibles, he got people from around the world, he networked, and they sent him Bibles, and he smuggled them in the back seat of his car across borders. And then when he would get in these countries, he would secretly distribute the Bible. Well, he talks about in 1955, he was in Europe there, behind the Iron Curtain, and here he is in a little VW bug, blue. And he called it the miracle bug. And of course, in the front, right, that's the trunk on the bugs, it's stuffed to the gills with Bibles. Here's what he said happened. He said, I pulled my Volkswagen up to a security checkpoint at the border of Yugoslavia. I had dozens of Bibles hid away in my tiny car 
And I had to deliver them to desperate people who were starving for God's Word. I started sweating bullets, he said, as I stood there in line waiting for the soldiers to wave me forward to come be examined. He said, every car in line was put through a rigorous routine of search. One inspection, he said, lasted over an hour. The guard took the driver out, patted him down, took the seat out and examined everything. His hubcaps, they even took his engine apart. He said, just before I got up to the inspection line to be next, I prayed. What would you pray in such a situation? Here's what he prayed. He said, Lord, in my luggage, I have your word that I want to take to people who need you. When you were on the earth, Lord, you made blind eyes see. Lord, I ask this one thing. Make seeing eyes blind. Do not let the guards see the contents of my vehicle. Here's what happened. He said, Lord, I'm utterly dependent upon you. He pulls up to the checkpoint. He said, just to prove that I have no fear, he took a Bible and he set it out in the passenger seat beside him. He said, if God's going to do a miracle, he's going to allow that Bible not to be seen. He said, as I handed the guard my papers, I started to get out. But he pushed his knee against the door and he said, hold it. I'll look at your papers. He looked at my photograph. He looked at my passport. He scribbled something down. He stuck his head in the car and looked around. Then he shoved the papers into my chest and he said, go on about your business. <laughs> And Brother Andrew says in his book, he says, somehow it's only by the hand of God that he did not see any of the Bibles. As he pulled through the checkpoint, he said, I looked in my rearview mirror as the next car was stopped and the driver was removed and guards began going over it with a fine tooth comb. Friend, that is the hand of our God. And He's still working in lives today. Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even their enemies to be at peace with him. The safest place of all is the will of God. And the safest protection of all is the name of God, Jesus Christ.